Thank you for checking out this podcast from Mountain View Christian Center, a place to connect. Good morning. I'm not even going to ask if you can hear me because I think I'm fairly loud this morning, which is good. You know, I knew that would happen. I knew. I just knew it. Hey, I want to, before I begin, I want to uh, share a praise report for those of you that maybe had not heard. We've been praying for Kermit. He had to go in and have an angiogram. They ended up having to put a stent in his heart. It was one of the arteries was plugged uh, pretty bad, but they put the stent in and let him go home. And he started having some issues with his arm and and back and forth. Anyways, he ended up spending another night, had to go back down to Sunnyside, spend another night. And they said that he had all of the symptoms of a stroke, but they can't find evidence of a stroke. Uh, so after being there overnight, they said, well, um, can't figure it out. So they sent it, So he's home. Long story short, he is home. Uh, he's resting. I was talking to Janice this morning. He's, he must be on the mend because he's kind of ornery. Uh, he's, he's not wanting to slow down. He wants to get up and do the things that he wants to do. And that's, and that's good. We need to continue to pray for his continued healing. Uh, but we rejoice in the fact that he's not in the hospital and that he has come through all this. We'll just pray that that uh, even as the evidence has subsided, that the symptoms will go away and he'll be restored to full health. While we're praying for them, we need to pray for, there's a number of folks that are sick. Uh, Randy texted me this morning, he's got the flu, the Poland's got the flu. A lot of people just not feeling well. So I wanna pray not only for them, but for those of us that don't have it, that we don't get it, amen? We don't need it. (laughs) So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this good day, and we thank you for the good report about Kermit. We pray his continued healing. Lord, that you would restore him to to full strength and mobility, and and yes, Lord, even full honoriness. We pray strength for Janice as as he heals up, Lord, that you would continue to give her the strength to uh, to keep up and to do the things that she needs to do, the things that uh, maybe he normally does. We pray that you'd give her the strength and the endurance to do so. Again, we thank you for your hand upon him. We pray for those, Father, that are out sick with the flu. There's some kind of something going around. We pray that you would bring healing to each and every one. And Lord, that you would guard those that don't have it. Lord, that you'd be a shield about them. And Father, that health and wholeness would flow from here. We'll be quick to give the praise, and we ask you, Lord, to guide us through our message today. Be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and hold them up. And if you'll notice, I'm holding with my right hand, meaning my shoulder is getting much better. So it's not a real heavy Bible, but hey, every little bit. Let's repeat after me. This is the Word of God. It's able to make me wise. It's useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. And this message is for me. If you have your Bibles, open up to Judges chapter 6. Everybody that was raising one, you can open up to Judges chapter 6. If you don't have your own, there are some in the in the pews. We're going to close out our, our series or put our series on hold, the My Story series. Today will be the last installment for a while. Uh, you know, I, 
I was looking at it and I could, I could probably go for a year or more. There's so many characters in the Bible that I think we can identify with, but, but Easter's coming up. I wanted to have, I got a couple of standalone messages I want to share uh, as we head into Easter and then we'll see uh, what the Lord directs after that. But we're going to look at a man out of the book of Judges that I think we may be able to identify, maybe more than we identify with, maybe more than we would really like to admit, or maybe more than we, we have more in common with him than, than we ever thought just from a surface reading. We're going to be talking about a guy by the name of Gideon. You know, the last thing written about Gideon is found in Hebrews chapter 11 in the, that faith chapter. He is listed among other men and women of faith who finished well. People who stood up and, and answered the call. But that wasn't the whole story of his life. I'm here to tell you that if, if a man like Gideon can finish well, even after having somewhat of a rocky start, even after you know, riding the roller coaster of faith back and forth. If a man like Gideon can finish well and be listed among those who were faithful, then so can you and so can I. Gideon was a man like any other man, except you know, he's, he's a man like many of us here today in America. He grew up in a difficult time in Israel's history. It wasn't the best of times for Israel when Gideon was coming up. They had been in the promised land for oh, a couple hundred years. But after the death of Joshua and the, and the leaders that brought them across the, the Jordan River, after the, the death of those men who had walked by faith, the Bible tells us that the people fell away. You know, a little bit at a time. It wasn't like they just all of a sudden said, oh, we're not going to serve the God of Israel anymore. We're going to serve the foreign gods, but a little bit at a time. You know how it is. You compromise a little bit here. You compromise a little bit there. But pretty soon before you know it, you're not anything like you used to be. Did anybody notice that? And, and I tell you what, I, I love this country. I love the United States of America. That's, I've always been an American. huh? Most of us can probably say that. Born here, raised here, served in the military for here. I would, be, I would die for this country. I believe in the, in the Constitution. And I believe in the precepts that this nation was founded on. But I'm a relatively young guy. I'm 47 years old. I know there's some here that are younger than me, and there's some here that are older than me. But how many of you that are, say, my age, my generation and older can sit back and go, you know what? This really isn't the same country that I grew up in. It has changed. Politically has changed. Spiritually has changed. Economically has changed. Socially has changed. It's not what it was. And, and you know what? I wasn't born in the, in the highlight of America's history. I was born in 1968. I mean, what was going on in 1968? Vietnam. Hippies. Peace, love, and hippie beads, and the flower power stuff going on, and drugs were running rampant. And I, my folks tell me that they never did drugs, but if you knew the name that they were going to name me as a girl, if I was a girl, I'm going to take them at their word that they didn't do drugs, but there might have been some uh, secondhand smoke or something. That, I'm not even going to bother to tell you what they were going to... It's just... It's just no. <laughs> 
No, you don't. You really don't want to know. And and maybe more importantly, I don't want you to know. <laughs> because some of you will write it down and you'll start calling me that. And, and then I might have to lay hands on you. So, no, I mean... I wasn't born and, and raised up in the, in the highlight of America's history, and I don't think anybody that, that's living here today was born and raised up in the highlight of American history. But you know what? I mean, from the, from the very get-go, our country has done this, been up and down. I believe that our country is, is only the second, this is my opinion, we're only the second country in the history of the world that was carved out by God and established on a faith and a trust in Him. Israel, God's chosen people that He used to reach the world. And they're, by the way, they're still God's chosen people. And America, that was established for the sole purpose of spreading the gospel. It's amazing. I mean, if you look at our history, our 230, 240 years, whatever it's been, the advances that have taken place in our short history compared to other nations that have such long histories, it's, it's obvious God's hand of blessing has been upon us. But with all of that, we've done a lot of this, haven't we? So God's hand of blessing was on Israel from the time they left Egypt until they crossed into the Promised Land. God's hand of blessing was on them every time they'd go out to battle and so forth. But at somewhere along the line, they decided serving God's not all that great. They started believing some of the ideas, some of the false ideas of the nations around them. They didn't complete the job, you know, they didn't drive out all of the inhabitants of the promised land and, and they started to intermingle and they started to, they started to have some problems. And, and that's where Gideon comes in. He's, he's born and raised up in a time that's not the highlight of Israel's history. They are not the head, they are the tail. They're not the world power. They're not the economic power. They're not doing the things that, that God had designed for them. The people had disregarded God. They had stopped worshiping him, though they had the tabernacle and they had the law and they had the ark of his presence. They had stopped worshiping God as a nation and had begun worshiping all the foreign gods, the Baals and the Asherahs and, and you name it, Molech and and all these others. In fact, when you start talking about Gideon, we find out as you, as you read Judges chapter six, that not only did the nation worship these foreign gods, but Gideon's family worshiped foreign gods. Gideon's own father had a, had a big altar built to Baal. He had an Asherah pole, which was a, a very immoral, Religion, Asherah was very, very immoral worship, sexual worship, and, and they offered sacrifices to Baal. That's the, that's the household that Gideon grew up in. It was a house that, that knew the history of Israel, knew the stories of how God had prospered them and, and blessed them, but weren't serving God themselves. We run into Gideon, we see that uh, one of the first things he asks about, he, he questions God's presence. Verse 13, chapter 6. In fact, let's, let's, let's move up to verse 7. We'll just get a little bit more in here. 
Judges chapter 6, starting in verse 7, it says, When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, Midian was a nation that was oppressing them horribly. He sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you haven't listened to me. God kind of lays the foundation and says, you're in the situation you're in because of what you've done, not because of me. Because you've made bad choices, you're here. You ever heard somebody say, hey, you made your bed, sleep in it. That's basically what God was saying. God made all the provision for them, they didn't want it. So he says, look, I told you not to do it, you did it, now you're going to have to deal with it. Verse 11, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now what kind of a greeting is that to a guy who is hiding from the enemy, he's pressing out the wheat, he's, he's processing the wheat in a wine press, he's hiding because he's afraid of the enemy. What kind of a, what kind of a, a God, I mean, this, it says right here, it was the angel of the Lord, this is Jesus pre-incarnate, approaches a man who has grown up in a home that doesn't fear or worship or serve God, knows about him in the back of their heads, but is worshiping and serving the gods of the nations around him. But God had a plan, and he approached Gideon, and he says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you. Not Baal, not Asherah, not Molech, not any, the Lord. Jehovah, the one you've heard about, is with you. I think Gideon's response is kind of telling. Verse 13, but Sir Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Gideon, here, here's an interesting, Gideon did not know that the Lord was with him because Gideon did not sense his presence. He didn't feel goosebumps when this angel of the Lord showed up. He didn't know anything different. He's walking around. He didn't even realize that God was with him. I wonder how it might change things in our lives if we started taking God at his word and, and putting that above our feelings. If we started to trust God more than we trust our feelings. It drives me crazy to talk to a 20-something today and they're always leading off with, I feel, well, I feel, well, I feel as if. I didn't ask you how you felt, I asked you what you think. I asked you, what's the facts? Don't tell me what you feel. I'll make you feel something. But he didn't, Gideon didn't feel anything. How many of you have been in the Lord's presence but didn't feel anything? Of course, that's kind of a double-edged sword because you might sit here and say, well, if I didn't feel it, how do I know that I was in his presence? Quick question, how many of you feel the presence of the Lord right now? Don't, don't lie. You just, you, you feel something special. I mean, there's something special going on right now. God is moving on. You feel his presence right now. 
about a third of you. That means about two-thirds of you don't feel anything special. Guess what? The Lord is here. He is with us. If you have ever at any point in your life accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and you haven't walked away from him, you haven't turned your back on him, you haven't said, I'm done with that, he's with you, period, day in and day out. It doesn't matter what you feel like. It doesn't matter what you sense or if you've got goosebumps or not, the Lord is with you. I, you know, goosebumps are kind of fun to have on occasion, but I wouldn't want to have them all the time. They're not real good for my complexion. So Gideon's response is, hey, what do you mean the Lord is with me? I, I don't feel it. I mean, I'm standing down here hiding. I'm, I'm afraid of the enemy. Why do you call me mighty man? Why do you call me mighty warrior? What are you talking about? The Lord is with us. And then he starts to use logic, which we do oftentimes. He says this, uh, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. He questioned God's presence among them because there was no evidence of it. And he's looking at the circumstances of his life. Well, if God's really with us, then how come? How come the economy stinks? How come our army is running away? If, if God is really with us, how come the weather's so bad? How come we're in a famine? How come, how come we got bad guys ruling over us? If God is really with us, then, then how come I can't get the cable company to come out on time? If God is really with us, why are all these things happening? We get really circumstantial when we start dealing with God, don't we? We get our eyes on our circumstances, and we always want to judge as to whether, whether God's pleased with us or He's not pleased with us by what's going on. Around. That's it's human nature. That's normal. It's stupid, and it's wrong. I'm not sent here to lie to you or pat you on the back or blow sunshine up your backside. I'm just, I just want to tell you the truth. We can't live on circumstance. Gideon was about to find that out. Why you call me a mighty warrior? Why you say that God is with us? If he's with us, where are all the signs? I think we're in a, we're in a place like that in the church in America. I'm not going to say just in America, the nation, but in the church in America. Oh, I can, I can remember growing up in the... In, Holy Spirit moving like crazy. Like in every service, I can remember 10 years ago, Spirit moving like crazy. And 10 years ago, it was, a, it was a rarity, but God was doing. So I can remember hearing my parents talk about tarrying in prayer, waiting in prayer, and, and, and God just doing amazing things. And, you know, we can sit here today and say, well, if God is with us, how come we're not seeing that stuff? If God is with us, how come we're not seeing the healings and the deliverances and the, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit? If God is, if God is with us, how come, how come we have any room at all in any of these seats? There was a time when we were full. If God is, let's get our eyes off the circumstances and start looking at the facts. Okay, Israel was where they were because they messed up. America is where it is because we've messed up. Church is where it is because we've messed up. 
But God is faithful and he is with us. Let's move on. Gideon, like many of us, did not see himself the way that God saw him. Did you see how the Lord greeted him? The Lord is with you, mighty warrior, or mighty man of valor, as it says in some translations. You realize God sees you a little bit different than you see you? Gideon didn't feel like he had any right to be called a mighty warrior. He's, he's hiding. But God looked beyond his circumstance, beyond his reality, and spoke God's reality into him. Let's keep reading. The Lord turned to him and said, this is verse 14, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? But Lord Gideon said, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you'll strike down all the Midianites together. And Gideon replied, if I found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it's really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. So Gideon went in and prepared a young goat. And, uh, and from an ephah of flour, he made bread without yeast, putting the meat in a basket and its broth in a pot. He brought them out and offered them to him under the oak. The angel of the Lord said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread, place them on the rock and pour out the broth. And Gideon did so. With the tip of the staff that was in his hand, the angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread and fire flared from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Oh, sovereign Lord, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, now he's obviously not standing in front of him anymore. Now the Lord is speaking to his heart. Peace, do not be afraid. You're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord that day and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it stands in Ophrah of the Bizrites. And that same night... The Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old. Tear down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of its, on top of its height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid... Because he was afraid of his family and of the men of the town, he did it at night rather than the daytime. Gideon still isn't really acting like a mighty warrior, is he? He's just seen the Lord consume the, the sacrifice, the offering that he gave him. Boom, consumes it. The angel of the Lord disappears. He says, whoa, I, I just saw... Woo! I just saw the Lord... You can't see the Lord and live. The Lord speaks to him. Don't worry about it. You're not going to die. I've got a, I've got a job for you. I've got a purpose for you. Now, this is what I want you to do. And you would, you, know, you would think, you would like to think, I would like to think the Lord appeared to me like that, that I'd be walking 10 feet tall and bulletproof and nothing could stop me. That there would be no way that there would be any fear that would creep in. We would like to think that. That doesn't always happen. It did not happen with Gideon. He was sure that the Lord spoke to him. 
But when the Lord told him to tear down that Asherah pole and tear down that altar to Baal and use the wood to build a proper sacrifice to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, to Jehovah God, to the, to the great I am, he said, oh, okay. Once it gets dark and nobody can see me, then I'll act like a mighty warrior. He waited till nightfall. He, it says, right, he was afraid of his father. He was afraid of his family. He was afraid of the men of the town. And church, we can focus on the fear. Or we can focus on the author of our faith. Too many times we focus on the fear. And we could even, in Gideon's case, we could focus on the fear and say, wow, what a coward. He did it at night. But the fact remains, he did it. He went there and he tore down his father's altar. He built a proper altar. He cut down that pole and he turned it into firewood. And he took his father's bull and he sacrificed it. And I think he did it with fear and trepidation. I think he did it shaking the whole time. I think maybe, maybe he just came to the point where he said, if I die, I die. I saw God. I, sp I heard the Lord speak, so. <sighs> and he did it. And and some surprising things happened. Let's look at verse 25 and 20, 25 through 27. No, that's not where I want to go. Oh, that's because I was in the wrong chapter. Yes, chapter 6, verse 25. That same night the Lord told him, Take the second bull from your father's herd. The one seven years old, tear down the father, your father's altar to Baal, cut it down the Asherah pole, then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on top of this height, using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bowl as a burnt offering. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did what the Lord told him, but because he was afraid of his family and the men of town, he did it at night rather than the daytime. In the morning, verse 28, when the men of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it, cut down, and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. And they asked each other, who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, the son of Joash, did it. Oh, man. You know, the Bible says, be sure your sins will find you out. But it's not just your sins that are going to find you out. Your righteousness will find you out, too. You can't hide fruit. He's, he's beginning to walk in righteousness, and now people are going to start noticing. It didn't matter that he offered the sacrifice at night without them seeing. The evidence is left over. And they're taking notice. The men of the town demanded of Joash, bring out your son, he must die, because he's broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you going to plead Baal's cause? Are you trying to save him? Whoever fights for him will be put to death by morning. If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. 
So that day they called Gideon Jerob Baal, saying, let Baal contend with him because he broke down Baal's altar. Here's the, here's the cool thing. It says he was afraid. He did this at night because he was afraid of his father. He was afraid of his family, and he was afraid of the men of the town. But when he stepped out in faith and when he walked in obedience, even though he did it at night, the next morning it was discovered, and the town, the men, the men of the town came around and wanted to know who did it. When they found out it was him, they demanded of his father, bring him out, we're going to kill him. And I'm sure Gideon's sitting in the house thinking, well, here we go, that didn't last very long. But at least I can die with my boots on. At least I can die knowing that I honored God. When he's thinking that and just waiting for his father to come in and get him, the man that he feared the most was a man who stood up to the crowd and defended him the greatest. The man that he was afraid of because he had destroyed his property in obeying God, his own dear father. Now, I don't know what kind of a temper his dad had. I don't know what kind of a background his dad had, but there was some kind of fear in Gideon from his father. But his own father stood up and looked all those men in the face and said, you know what? If Baal really is a God, let him defend himself. If Baal really is a God, he can stop somebody from knocking down his, his altar. If he really is a God, let him deal with it. You're not touching my boy. And I wonder, I mean, that had to just blow Gideon away. That had to just, just make him step back and think twice because his father now is declaring some form of faith in the God of Israel. His father isn't upset that Baal is that the altar is destroyed. His father's not upset that the pole is cut down. He is actually starting to demonstrate some faith in Jehovah. And I wonder how many of us, if we could see what's going on in the lives of those around us, whether it's family or friends, those people that make us a little bit nervous, those people that we're just, we just don't want to cross the line with our faith. How many of those people, like Gideon's father, are just waiting for someone to stand up and take a stand? Joash, Gideon's father, wasn't as bold as he put on to be in front of Gideon. He was standing, he was, he was waiting for someone to take a stand for the God of Israel. He didn't have the boldness to do it himself. He didn't have the conviction to do it himself. But when he saw his own son stand up, instead of being upset at his son, he was filled with pride. He said, I can follow my son. That's a big thing for a father to follow his son. I can follow my son's example. Some of you here this morning, you got family members, you got friends, relatives, coworkers, that on the outside, they seem very antagonistic. They seem very anti-God, maybe anti-Bible, anti-faith. They might be spouting all sorts of garbage. Maybe they're worshiping really goofy, stupid stuff. Idols of self and money and relationship. Maybe, maybe they're caught up in some other religion. But God has placed you in the midst because there are those among you that are waiting for somebody to stand up and say, this is the way. Walk in it waiting for somebody to stand up and say, God of the Bible, that's God. Jesus Christ, he's the only way. Instead of just pandering to their 
fears and their frustrations instead of just patting them on the back saying, well, I'm just not going to talk with you because you're just too frustrated. They're waiting for somebody to stand up and take a stand. Might as well be you, mighty warrior. Yes, I'm talking to you. I'm not hearing any thank yous or anything like that. I'm not really looking for them, but if you're within earshot, I'm calling you a mighty warrior. You with God is majority. You can be like Gideon. You don't have to fear. Now let's get back. With all of this, all these great things happening, Gideon still, he, he still, he wasn't completely satisfied because God had called him to this big thing. He's going to go out and, and defeat the enemy. And after all that, he ends up testing God. Still in chapter 6, move down to verse 36, he, he wants to toss out a fleece. After everything that he's seen, he's still just a little bit nervous to get started. Verse 36 says, Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you promised, look, I'll place a wool fleece on the threshing floor, and if there's dew only on the fleece and all around the ground is dry, then I'll know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that's what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. There was no, no water anywhere else, no dew. God did exactly what Gideon had asked him to. You ever ask God to do something for you? Lord, if this is, if this is really you, then, then do this. And then he does it. You're like, okay, well, that's pretty good, but maybe that was just coincidence. Oh, Gideon. Well, it's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, the odds of that happening on its own is zero. But I'm not quite convinced. So he goes back to the Lord the next day and says, hey, that was pretty good. He said, don't be angry. This is verse 39. Don't be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. Because it wasn't neat enough that the fleece had all the dew. I don't want the fleece to have any dew. I want everything else to be. And it says that that night, God did it. I'm running out of options. And a lot of people these days, and I'll tell you what, God, God's not afraid of you throwing out a fleece. He's not afraid of you asking for confirmation. But can I, can I tell you this? If you've walked with the Lord for a while, now this is, this is Gideon's first go around. But if you've walked with the Lord for a while, the longer you walk with him, the less you ought to be worrying about fleece. The more you ought to be listening to his voice. I don't care if, if you're just getting started and you haven't walked, go ahead and ask God for a, a sign. Go ahead and ask for a fleece issue. But if you've been serving the Lord for a while, let's say a month or more, how about if you listen to his voice and take a step? I know that's asking a lot from some, but, but I promise you, he won't let you down. But, but even after all the grace of Gideon asked for a, he, he put God to the test and God honored him, and he finally got the courage to go. Finally, he's all right, you did the thing with the dew, you did the thing with the fleece, I guess I'm not getting out of this, it's good, I'm built up, I'm encouraged. And he gathers his army and he gets, gets 32,000 men. Blows the shafar or whatever, he gathers 32,000 men. They're going to go and fight against Midian, which 
if you read the text, you'll find out had too many people to count. So 32,000 is a lot of people. It's a lot of men ready to fight, but they're going up against an army that you cannot count. They're spread out against a valley thicker than fleas. And Gideon's just, I, I guarantee you, he's just a little bit nervous. I mean, yeah, God can, yeah, he can do all this cool stuff and dad's on my side, that's great, but I got, well, thank God I've got 32,000, but that's a lot of people. You know, when God didn't ask anybody that's read it before, you, you, you got an idea. Yeah, so you got too many people. 32,000, that's just, now we're talking about the God of the universe can do anything. He speaks things that are not as though they are. He says, you got too many people for me to rescue you with. I, I, I can't use that many people. Now, it's not that God couldn't figure out something for 32,000 men to do. But he says this, he says, if I rescue you with 32,000 men, you're going to get cocky. You're going to think you did it on your own. You're going to think that you're such a great military strategist. I mean, I did call you mighty warrior. But you're going to think it's all you. That's, that's too many. We've got we to gotta start whittling it down. Gideon's not too excited about this prospect. God says, we're going to whittle it down. Let's go to chapter 7. Early in the morning, Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod, the camp of Midian was north of the men in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you've got too many men for me to deliver Midian into, your, into their hands in order that Israel may not boast against me that her strength has saved her. Announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So Gideon goes, hey, if you're scared, if you're nervous, if you're not you know, chomping at the bit to be here, go ahead and leave. You're, it's fine. You can... You can go. He's probably thinking, nah, we won't lose very many. 22,000 men left. Lord, you took two-thirds. Why I got two-thirds scaredy cats on my team? Now you take two-thirds of them away. Even if they're scared, they could do something. They could run around and get them tired, and the guys that aren't scared could come in and fight them. That's 22,000 men. Gone. Now I got 10,000. Great. The Lord said to Gideon, there's still too many. What? Have you seen the other army? You still got too many. Take them down to the water and I'll sift them for you there. If I say this one will, pass, this one will go with you, he'll go. If I say this one will not, he will not. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. 300 men laughed with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. Gideon's probably saying, you know, I don't need any dog men anyways. That's why you act like an animal. Can't believe you. Don't you know God is here? You act like an animal. And we put those kind of... And we put those kind of tests upon people. You, you just don't quite add up. You're just not quite right in the head. What makes you want to get down and drink water like a dog, you silly person? Yeah, so you, you see those 300 men that were drinking like a dog? Those are the guys I want. You get rid of the others. 9,700 men 
out the door because they didn't act like dogs. Gideon is not excited. He's got 300 men that think they're dogs. But the Lord said to Gideon with the 300 that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go to each of his own place. So Gideon sent the rest to their tents and kept the 300 who took over the provisions and the trumpets of the other. Now the camp at Midian lay below him in the valley. Has it ever happened to you? You, you, you finally decide you're going to serve God. You finally say, you know what? I've, it's like making a New Year's resolution. I know I've got I to get serious about honoring God in this area or that area. I'm going I'm to start uh, tithing. I'm going I'm to start uh, witnessing. I'm going to start testifying. I'm going to start doing the things that God wants me to do, and I'm going to stop doing the things that, that He doesn't want me to do. You feel good about it, and God begins to whittle away at your support. Well, I'm really, I'm going to step up and I'm going to, I'm going to give more to missions. I really feel like the Lord wants me to give more to missions. I'm going to commit to being faithful with my tithes. And all of a sudden your hours get cut back at work. Or maybe you lose your job altogether. Your car breaks down. You start having bills happen. You get sick and you can't. All this stuff starts happening that whittles away at your support and at your ability and your mind to do that which you've committed yourself to do. That happens, I think, pretty regular. But have you ever, there's a radical thought for you, have you ever stopped to consider that maybe, maybe it's God that's whittling away what he doesn't want you to rely on? Maybe God's saying, okay, you've committed yourself. You threw out your fleece and I answered it. You said you'd do it. You said you're going to go now. I'm going to show you how serious I am. I want to see how serious you are. I'm going to start cutting away that support that you've leaned on for so long. I'm going to start taking things away from you, not to hurt you, not to harm you. Remember, God's plans for you are good to bless you, to give you a hope and a future. But if we're going to obtain that, if we're going to take hold of that, we've got to take hold of God and not all the other things that we have. Even the jobs that God has allowed us to get. Sometimes we start looking at the job, we start looking at the income, we start looking at the wage, and we start to trust it more than we do God. And he's the one that gave it to us in the first place. And we'll even make excuses. Well, God gave it to me. God gave me this job, so I've got to... Sometimes God marches in and he says, let me just take that away. Let me just move this around. And, and we find ourselves at a crossroads. And you can either trust God in that moment or you can blame the devil and blame him. You say, you know what? The devil's just messing with me. He's just taking everything. This is just an attack of the enemy. I guess I'll just have to sit here and pout and wait until things get better. And then, you know, God will understand. God is patient. He'll understand. Paul had a similar situation. He's, God is moving in his life. Things are working. People are being healed. People are being delivered. Churches are being planted. Thousands upon thousands of people are being saved. I mean, there's so much anointing on this guy that as he's making tents, he's busy about, he's, he's not even preaching. He's just making tents. 
and people would bring handkerchiefs and lay them on them, and then they would take that handkerchief, and they'd lay it on a sick person, they'd get well, they'd lay it on a demoniac, and the demon would, would go away because Paul sweated. I mean, his sweat was... But one day, Paul wakes up, and he's got this thorn in the flesh, and we don't know what it is. A lot of, a lot of Bible scholars speculate that it was, you know, bad eyes or this or that. There's some evidence that he had bad eyes, he had problems with... I don't know if it was physical, I don't know if it was emotional, but I know this, it attacked Paul. In fact, he even called it a messenger from Satan, a thorn in my flesh. And Paul himself, who had healed countless people, he stops and he prays. He says, Lord, take this thorn away. Take this issue away. Heal my eyes, heal my heart, whatever this... Ask one time, doesn't happen. Ask the second time, doesn't happen. Ask the third time. Three times Paul prays. Anointed man of God. Doesn't happen. After the third time, the Lord speaks. I'm not exactly sure if, if it was after the third time that the Lord spoke or if it was after the third time that Paul listened. Paul was a man just like you and me. But after the third time, he heard the Lord say, I'm not going to take that thorn away. I'm not going to take it away. Because when you're weak, then I'm strong. See, I'm sufficient for all your needs. You can't judge my blessing on you. You can't judge my abilities on you based on how you feel and what your physical condition is. you got to base it on who I say you are and who I am. So I'm not going to take it away. Paul's attitude transformed, changed just like that. He stopped praying about it. He never prayed about it again. And he, said, and he wrote to one of the churches, he says, you know what, this is what I'm going to do. I'll boast about the things that show my weakness. As he's writing to the Corinthians, I'll boast about things that show that I'm weak. Why? Because when I'm weak, then God's strong. Then he steps in. And I think, church, that we need to begin to grab hold of that kind of faith and that mentality when we lose our job or when the, when the bills start outpacing the income or when the truck breaks down or we get sick or whatever. We need to, we need, yes, let's pray. Let, yes, let's trust God. But let's not stop trusting God in those areas that he's called us to. I've committed myself to, to tithing on a regular basis. My income goes up, my income goes down. 10% doesn't change. God still gets it. And God still blesses. We committed ourselves to, to giving to missions. Income goes up, income goes down. We give to missions. Why? Because God asked us to. We committed ourselves to, to pastoring. Frustration goes up, frustration goes up. Somebody asked me one time, they said, what's your favorite thing about pastoring? I said, people, people, absolutely. Wow, be there on the best days, be on the worst days. People are the best thing about ministry. They said, well, what's the worst thing about pastoring? I said, the people, people. Nothing like a bunch of whiny Christians, I tell you. We committed ourselves. Why? Because God called us. Because we're anything special? No. But God called us. So this is what I've, this is what I've made you for. Do it, God. I don't have an education. I don't care. God, I don't know this much. God, I'm not gifted. I'm not... It's not about you, Brandon. It's about me. So I don't know what you're struggling with and what your frustration is with, but you know what? It's not about you. It's about God. 
And will you, like Gideon, stand up and be faithful in the midst of God whittling down your support, in the midst of God taking things away that you've relied on that he doesn't want you to rely on anymore? Will you trust him or will you sit down and cross your arms and wait for the storm to pass? Let's stand up and be mighty men and women of valor. Gideon was still afraid. I'd like to say that he wasn't afraid, but Gideon was still afraid. I'm kind of glad that it records this, that he was still afraid, because that means I'm not alone. We get scared sometimes, don't we? God asks us to move in a new way, in a new direction. God asks us to step out in a way that we never have before. We get scared sometimes. It's okay. It's okay to be scared. What's not okay is to stop moving forward. Be scared and move forward. Fear isn't the absence of faith. And faith isn't the absence of fear. It works both ways. But faith is making your fear submit and stepping out anyway. Don't ever feel like you don't have faith just because you're afraid. Don't feel like God doesn't, doesn't want you around because you're afraid. He was still afraid. And rather than be angry or upset or disgusted at him, God did something special for Gideon. Chapter 7, verse 9. During the night, the Lord said to Gideon, Get up and go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. And if you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they're saying. Afterwards, you'll be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outpost. The fact that he went down there with Pura tells us he was afraid. He was scared. He's only got 300 men. He's scared. God says, if you're afraid. Now, God could, have, God could have just taken that spirit of fear out of him. God could have let steel run through his veins, but he didn't. He said, get in if you're afraid. I'm not mad. I'm not frustrated. I'm not disappointed. If you're afraid, I want you to do this. Go down to the camp, take your servant with you, and just listen to what they're saying. The Midianites and Amalekites and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. That's a lot of people. Verse 13, Gideon arrived just as a man was telling his friend, telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he said. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force. that the tent was overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. And when Gideon heard the dream, and its interpretation, he worshiped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up. The Lord has given the camp into your hands. Gideon was scared, and sometimes we're scared to death. The Lord said, Go down and listen. The enemy is not going to come to you and knock on your door and say, Hey, I'm scared of you. The enemy is not going to come 
to your place of work or, or you know, search for you, send you a text and say, hey, please leave me alone because you have me nervous. The enemy is going to put on his game face. He's going to look fierce and ferocious and overbearing and, and incredibly powerful. He's not going to let you know that he's afraid. But can I tell you something? He's scared to death. The Bible says he knows his time is short. The devil doesn't care if you go to church. What he cares about is if you let church get into you, if you let the Lord get into you and you become the church, that scares him to death. Gideon went down and he just so happened, like there's coincidence, he just so happened to get to the spot in the camp where a man just so happened to be sharing a dream. And he heard the truth of what was going on in that camp, the truth that they would never speak out loud if they knew that he was listening. Not only did he hear the dream, he heard the interpretation and he heard the fear in their voice. And he was emboldened. Church, we need to, we need to trust that what God says is true. We need to trust that the enemy is shaking in his boots. We need to trust that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I don't care how ugly and scary and nasty and whatever the enemy is. He does all sorts of things. I don't care about how big his army is. It seems to be growing day by day. Greater is he that's in me. And greater is he that's in you. And you don't need to be afraid because they're afraid of you. Been told my whole life growing up that wild animals are more scared of you than you are of them. And I believe it, but I have a hard time believing it sometimes when I'm out in the woods and I think there's a bear around or a cougar. Sometimes I think he must really be scared if he's more scared than I am. And I'm fearless, by the way, in case you're wondering. God let him hear what was really going on. I believe that if we were to ask the Lord, and if we were to listen, we would start to hear what's really going on. We've got to trust it. We've got to take him at his word. The rest of the story, Gideon went back, called the army together. They destroyed, they absolutely wiped out the Midianites, the Amalekites, the, the armies that were gathered. Total victory. God got a great victory through Gideon, and Gideon finished well. Your story is not done being written. You're just on another chapter. Maybe you got a brand new chapter starting today. You got a brand new chapter starting today and you get to, you get to start writing down what this faith chapter is gonna be. Let me give you just three things that we can take from Gideon's story and make them our own so that we can walk in victory. First thing I want you to do is to accept God's view of you rather than your own. Hello, mighty warrior. Begin to accept the way that God sees you as being more valid than the way you see yourself. God doesn't lie and he doesn't make up stories. If he's calling you a mighty warrior, you are a mighty warrior. Number two. Trust his word over your circumstance. 
Let's not build our lives based on circumstances, build our lives based on faith and trust in the Word of God. This has never been wrong, and it never will be wrong. And when the Lord starts speaking to you, see how it measures up to this. You think it's, you're not sure if it's the Lord or not? See if it measures up to this. If it measures up to this, well then start marching. And if it doesn't measure up to this, then ignore it. The Bible tells us to test the spirits. So accept God's view of you, trust his word over your circumstances. And finally, number three, rely on his ability, not what you bring to the table. Rely on his ability. That's what's going to get us through. Faith and trust is a verb. It's an action word. It's not something we just sit and let it happen. We have to actively pursue God. Actively work in his field. Actively do that which he's called us to do. Can you do those three things? Accept God's view of you. Trust his word over your circumstance and rely on his ability and not what you bring to the table. If you can do those, you're fixing to see a change. You're going to see some great things happen. Gideon's listed because he was a judge that God used to deliver the people. God wants to use you to deliver people. Amen? Stand with me, would you? Lord, I thank you that you see us and you see our circumstances different than we do. Lord, you have called us mighty warriors. You've called us men and women of valor. Lord, you have trusted us and given us opportunities and given us things to do. Lord, I pray that today we would begin to stand up and take notice. Lord, that, that we would see ourselves through your eyes. Lord, that we would trust your word and your call more than our circumstances, certainly more than our fears. And Lord, that, that we would rely on you and not on our own abilities. If you're here this morning, the Lord's been challenging you. You've, you've been a person of faith. I'm not saying you haven't had faith, but you've had a hard time stepping out and walking it out because you focus too much on you, on your failures, on your weaknesses. But, but this morning you say, Pastor, I want to go beyond that. I want, to, I want to be that mighty man or that mighty woman of God. I want to trust God. I want to see myself through his eyes. If that's you this morning, would you just slip your hand up? I just want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe you're here this morning and you struggle with the, with the second part. It's easier for you to rely on your circumstances, to view your circumstances than it is to trust the word of God. You say, Pastor, I want to, I want to not worry about my circumstance. I want to trust God this morning. If that's you, just slip your hand up. I want to pray for you. Thank you. Maybe this morning you're here and you've been doing it all on your own. You've been, I'm not saying you haven't been serving God, but you've been doing it on your own power and just spinning your wheels and getting wore out. This morning you say, hey, I want to, I want to rely on God, not on what I bring to the table. If that's you, just slip your hand up. I just want to pray for you as well. Thank you. And last, last one I want to throw out, just in case, maybe you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. All this stuff sounds fine and dandy, but you've never committed yourself to Jesus. And you, you know you have a need for forgiveness. You have a need for salvation. If that's you this morning, you'd say, hey, 
Pray for me, Pastor. I want to know Jesus. Can you slip your hand up? I just want to pray for you. I'm going to do something that I don't always do this morning, but it, it occurred to me last week, and we're going, to, we're going to close in a moment in prayer, but it occurred to me last week when Pastor Wayne announced that we've got our these altars up here, these these prayer altars, there was a lot of people that rejoiced and said, yeah, I mean, I heard, I heard people clapping and, and even whistling and being excited about it. But at the end of the service, you know how many people came up and used them? Zero. Well, what good does that kind of excitement do? Woo, they're there, great. A place to pray isn't any good if we don't pray. Amen? So what I'm going to do right now, I'm, just, I'm going to call those of you that raised your hands, I'm going to call you to account. This is kind of like the Gideon thing. If you're going to be bold, let's be bold together. So if you raised your hand for any of those, would you just come out of where you're standing, come out of where you're sitting, and just come up front this morning? I won't bite. Yeah, find a place. Find a place to kneel. Find a place to pray. If we're serious about letting God change things in our lives, if we're serious about stepping up, then we got to not be afraid of what other people are going to think. And you know what? If we can't take a stand here in a safe place, in a small group among our family and friends that, that love us, we'll never take a stand out there where they hate us. Make no mistake, there's people out there who don't like you. But God loves you, and he is for you. Keep, keep coming. I'm just going to spend some time praying with these folks. I'm going to go along, lay my hands on them, just pray for them. I'm going to pray now to release those of you that feel like you need to go. These altars are open. If you want somebody to pray with you, come and, and wait a while. But Father, as we get ready to excuse people from here, or as we get ready to release folks to their busy day, I pray that you would bless each one that was here. Lord, I pray that you would encourage each one. And Lord, that we would, each of us, rise up as mighty men and women, valiant warriors. Lord, that we would be those that would trust you. Lord, that we would act even when we're afraid, that we would step out in faith and that our faith would subdue that fear. Lord, I pray that you would be pleased and that you would bless the work that takes place through your people. Lord, keep your hands on those that, that have to go. Give them a great week. Bring them back, Lord, on Wednesday. Bring them back next week. But Lord, as we leave this place, let us go as the church. We're not leaving church. We're taking it with us outside the walls. Let us, Lord, be the church to those around us that you might be glorified. I commit your people to your grace now, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. For more information, you can find us online at www.mountainviewchristiancenter.net.